0: you.
1: Marshall Podcast. We are joshless today, but lucky enough to be joined by Nicole Lafon, TPM's associate editor. Hello, Nicole.
0: Hi, it's great to be here. Great to have you. Your face.
1: Uh, this is Kate Riga, your usual co-host. Um, today, we're going to focus on red legislatures race to completely shut down abortion access in their states, even while Roe v. Wade is still the law of the land. We'll also talk about a subway shooting that shook Brooklyn on Tuesday. But first, I wanted to do a quick update from the Senate contest in Iowa. There we have Chuck Grassley running for his eighth consecutive term, a young spry spring chicken. And right now, the leading contender to take him on is Abby Finkenauer, who was a congresswoman in the House. However, she may not even make the Democratic primary ballot due to contested signatures, three of which are either missing or have incomplete dates on them. That case is now being decided by the Iowa Supreme Court. So keep your eye on TPM for the outcome of that decision. Because if thinking hour gets knocked out of the race, it's basically wide open on the Democratic side. Mm. Three signatures? Three signatures. Wow. A good lesson to our aspiring politicians out there to collect more signatures than you think you need. Okay, so we're going to move on to our show, but first... It's springtime, so you're feeling called to pack away the space heater, tend to the garden, and enjoy a leisurely stroll in the evening sunshine. While you're at it, why not spruce up your coffee ritual so it leaves you with more time for fun in the sun? It's easy. Buy a Grady's Cold Brew Bean Bag Kit and get it delivered straight to your door. Toss a few bean bags and some cold water in the store and pour a pouch. Place the pouch in your fridge and let it brew overnight. Seriously, with just two minutes of prep on a Sunday night, you're set for a full week of smooth, dark, and delicious New Orleans-style iced coffee. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off at Grady's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Nicole, where do, you, where do you stand on Grady's personally, not philosophically?
0: You know, personally, um, I think it's great. It just makes my stomach hurt a little bit because I'm <laughs> a weakling. But if I add a little bit of milk in there and sugar and you know, lots of sugar, I think I'm usually on, I'm okay. We're coffee babies. uh, We are both very much coffee babies. Makes my tummy hurt. (laughs) More a milkshake, less a coffee is the preferred beverage of choice.
1: (laughs) Okay, so we had some breaking news on the abortion front just last night. In Kentucky, the uh, Republicans overrode Governor Andy Bashir, who's a Democrat, his veto of this abortion now law that's so restrictive, the few remaining clinics in the state say they will no longer be able to operate. That's mostly down to provisions that require an extra certification for providers to give out abortion medications, plus a new requirement that all fetal remains must be cremated or buried. Abortion rights groups are planning to challenge the law in court. Mm -hmm. So
0: what do you kind of make of this first law across the finish line? Well, I mean, in some sense, it's about as extreme as it can get. You know, that's the fact that it went into you know effective immediately is is the most one of the most concerning aspects of it i think and uh it's also there's just so much darkness and like very sterile medical kind of discussions around this entire topic i mean what why do we need to discuss you know how to dispose of fetal remains it's It turns your stomach. It's uh, it's not it's I guess it's just not something that's normally discussed in a political public sphere. And it just makes the entire thing more invasive. It feels not that this already isn't incredibly invasive what's happening. But
1: yeah, I think that's true. And I think it's also part of the anti-abortions movement effort to kind of message with these laws as much as they do to actually shut down abortion access. You know, it's kind of of a piece with um, the fetal personhood campaign has a lot of this stuff where activists have, you know, quote unquote, kind of burials and, you know, namings of the of the fetuses. And, you know, I know that that's something you have been somewhat exposed to with your kind of religious upbringing, which you can maybe like tell our listeners a little bit about.
0: Yeah. I I'm from the Midwest, um, born and raised in my dad's an evangelical Christian pastor. He's Nazarene. Um, so yeah, born and raised in that world, obviously, you know, you're Catholic. That's that's been something that is a part of conversation your whole life. Um, yeah. And you know, the thing that we don't need to get into this whole bizarre story with the act, the anti-abortion activist who was caught with those fetuses in her house. Mm. Um, one thing that they claimed is that they, you know, got all of these remains and had a proper burial for each and every one of them. And yeah, I think it's, it, it's a bizarre place to go and have discussions about, but I think the religious component of it definitely brings us there.
1: In your like upbringing and childhood was kind of, you know, quote unquote kind of pro-life movements, a big part of the the kind of religious atmosphere and community.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. I think that we were like as intense and activist-y as Catholics tend to be, but yeah, there's, you know, the abortion is murder in that world. And right. it's also a really misogynistic com- world and community and, there's never discussed, I mean, there's women and women's sexuality and women's rights are not really a component of, um, you know, the evangelical Christian community. Um, It's, that's just not even a factor. It's not something that's discussed um, around this conversation.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is interesting because a lot of times I think with this legislation, you have the lawmakers going out of their way to say, you know, we're not trying to punish the women. We're not trying to punish the pregnant women, but it does get you in a sticky situation where, especially in these like religious communities where being anti-abortion is a critical part of your identity. Mm -hmm. You know, there is an intrinsic link between that and the placing of motherhood on this pedestal of this like ultimate thing that women can be. So it's, I think, makes it an even harder conversation to have because it's not that people don't have sincere, you know, conviction about what they think abortion is, but it's intrinsically linked with very kind of outdated and patriarchal uh, gender roles. Mm -hmm. And I think those things can't be neatly divorced, which makes the whole thing much more, you know, painful and complicated.
0: Yeah. And abortion has been around for forever we just have, you know, um, medically, scientifically backed ways of carrying out the process now. And I think that there's also this, something that doesn't get discussed enough in general, but especially in these religious communities is the idea that like a woman should have autonomy and like be able to choose when and how her body is going to be destroyed. (laughs) You know, I mean, not destroyed, but Pregnancy is very hard on your body. A lot of women um, end up having complications that they didn't even know were a health issue before. Um it's it takes a toll on the body and just not having any choice over, you know, like what is being inflicted on your person is I don't know. I feel like that that piece of the conversation isn't talked about enough either.
1: So. Yeah. And it's funny because it's as we've progressed to a place where abortion is very, very safe, uh, much safer compared to actually giving birth, it's also become legally less safe at the same time. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And so this Kentucky law, you know, kind of comes on the heels of this very draconian Oklahoma law that it was what just last week. So can you kind of tell us about the details there?
0: Yeah. So it's really, I mean, I think when I wrote about it the other night at last week um, my headline was something like Oklahoma state legislator just passed the most restrictive abortion ban in America, because it's, it is, it's one of the most extreme things uh, versions that we've seen. It takes the week's conversation completely out of the discussion. So basically it's completely banned. you, but it's focused on not the patients or women or people getting an abortion. It's, it's targets, the providers and the people who are performing the abortion. So it's um, it just became law. What? Two days ago. Was that Monday? Yeah. You wrote that? Um, and the punishment is, I think it's up to hundred thousand dollars in fines up to 10 years in prison. And it will it's been signed into law, but it won't go into effect until effect until August, which is after you know state legislature adjourns for the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of convenient timing, um, and <laughs> considering what's coming down the pike. But yeah, I think, and you wrote about this, so maybe you can get into a bit more about the um, the ramifications of the decision because it's just not it's not just about Oklahomans. It's about texans as well and i think you you've cited that study i can't remember what Mm -hmm. it was but yeah talk on that because it's yeah
1: yeah i think it was university of texas at austin but basically saying that oklahoma has absorbed 45 percent of the displaced texan patients which is you know i mean it's not something they're being coy about that was part of the timing of this law that they want to kind of spread that firewall even farther, Mm -hmm. um, which is just a bit of a preview of the bifurcated America we're going to have, where there's just huge swaths of the country where abortion is illegal. You know, it's going to be impossible to get. But I do think, and I, I wonder what you think about this. Like I've been kind of thinking a lot about what the political ramifications are going to be of having a right that people have gotten comfortable with for 50 years. And that significant majorities of people continue to support uh, access to like what happens when that right goes away. And I think there are multiple ways to look at this. You have kind of the legal way, like what happens when you have a right in parts of the country and not in the others, but then also what happens politically, you know, what, what is going to be the country's reaction to a court that is so kind of far right to where public opinion is. And that seems ready and willing to just kind of overturn rights that people have gotten comfortable with.
0: That's a good point. And you would think that the Republicans in these states who have the majority and are passing these laws, like you think you would think that they would at least factor in the idea that there will be repercussions at the ballot box. Um, Right. And I'm sure that they will, but I think it's, I think it in part has to do with the fact that this has been the, at least for socially conservative people, this has been the goal for decades. Like This is the end all be all. The only thing that they care about is overturning Roe. And I mean, it's, you know, basically a big part of why Trump was elected because they wanted to, you know, it doesn't matter which Republican, we need a Republican in there Mm -hmm. to appoint someone to the Supreme court after they blocked Obama from being able to do it. And, um, yeah, I guess I don't know. I don't, I really, I'm not sure how, I don't know what like feeling wins out in the end for people who aren't Uber socially conservative, and who would, you know, naturally vote for Republicans or like, you know, just moderate mm-hmm. in general. Right. Um,
1: I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's a really interesting point that overturning Roe has been used as kind of an electoral carrot at this point for yeah. Republican candidates and particularly flawed ones, because then the kind of reckoning is, when it was Trump, you know, he's uncouth. You might not like what how he talks or his behavior, but on the campaign trail, he promised to appoint, you know, federally, Federalist Society minted judges who would overturn Roe. And that was, you know, that was enough for people who say that they otherwise would have been hesitant about voting for him. So that's why I've been kind of thinking about what is going to be that next electoral carrot for the right wing, because I think there's no way that people haven't realized how effective it is to kind of have a driving crusade like that. And I don't know. I mean, we don't have a ton of clues right now, except for, I think the Ketanji Brown Jackson hearings were a bit of a forum where Obergefell came up so many times. And that's definitely an issue that, Mm -hmm. you know, the right wing has not let out of its teeth, even though it's you know, been precedent for a while.
0: I was just going to say, and you've written on this before, just the number of issues, uh, privacy related issues that this court is targeting mm-hmm. right now. Right. And I think any number of them could become the new character.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so one piece of this that you noted is kind of the amount and the ferocity of these bills mm-hmm. slash some laws is kind of striking. What do you think, what work are these states doing by heaping up restrictions to the point that it's almost, you know, repetitive?
0: Yeah, this was something um, John Light and I were discussing this morning, just this idea. So there's this whole concept of, you know, all these anti-trans laws, these like anti- critical race theory laws, um, the book bannings, all of this uproar surrounding schools right now, first of all, is just kind of being like spoken into fruition by the right wing media. But the media, the right wing media is playing a role in like riling people up and creating this echo chamber type situation where it's almost like there's a groundswell of these laws Only because people think there's a groundswell of these laws coming up. And the whole point is to create an illusion that there is a groundswell of these laws coming up around the country. And um, it's like a distraction thing. It's not having an agenda before the midterms. But anyway, so that's a discussion that we have had um, just in terms of, you know, among editors discussing how to frame our coverage of these issues. And I think it applies here as well. It's almost as if all these states are writing bills that are incredibly extreme and restrictive just because they can. And um, knowing full well, they're gonna get challenged by the courts. But I think there's also an effort here to create an illusion Something that, you know, conservative justices when they're ruling on this issue in um, you know, this summer, something that they can point to and say, well, look, half the country is opposed to this. Look at all these bills that just passed and look at how extreme they are. Like it's almost it's almost um, preemptively giving them giving the conservative justices an excuse to do it. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I think that's a critical point. And it has also manifested in these this legislation crossing lines that before, even within the most ardent anti-abortion circles, were still considered lines not to be crossed. Like we're seeing rape and incest exceptions go completely out the window. Um, that was something you know, that came up in the Kentucky bill that Bashir wrote in his veto. The practical reality of this bill is that if a twelve year old girl is raped by her father, that she would have to get parental consent from that same father before she got a procedure, or would have to go before court to get that permission. So, we really are starting to leave behind, I think, the land of oh, we don't want to punish the pregnant person and moving into the full scale zero sum war of ending abortion is more important than keeping a woman who's been raped from
0: having to carry her rapist child. Right. I mean, we're not even talking about weeks anymore. That's the thing that's like really sticking out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can believe whatever you want about, you know, when life begins. We don't need to get into that. But there is, you know, there's there's the 22, 24 weeks before fetal viability that's been the standard. And before that, you know, it's it's as if a clump of cells is more important than a woman and a woman being able to have any control over what happens to her body. And I think the creepy part of all of this is that, you know, some of these more extreme laws that are being written and passed right now, like Oklahoma and Kentucky, they almost mirror, like they're almost identical to, um, an issue that you've covered where states have these old laws on the books still that aren't enforced because of Roe and haven't been enforced since Roe passed. And, um, they're almost using that as, it, it seems as though you're, they're using those as a model. Like if you look at what's going on in Michigan, the governor, uh, she just sued, well, she did two things to try to overturn, overturn the, I think it's like from the 1930s era yeah. law that basically completely bans abortion. And it's the exact same as what Oklahoma just passed. Um, there's no exception unless a woman's life is in danger. And so anyway, she's suing, well she's suing all of the county prosecutors um in Michigan. I think it's like 13 where there are abortion clinics there and so the you know not because she thinks that these prosecutors are going to immediately start charging people for performing abortions but it's a she's trying to challenge the law and get it overturned. So it makes its way to the state Supreme Court. So she did that and then she also just straight up used executive authority to ask the state Supreme Court um, to overturn the law. So Mm. there's a little bit of hope on one end of the spectrum that at least some blue democratic governors and um, blue states are doing a little bit to prep for Roe being overturned. That's on the opposite end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point also because the fact that these new laws are mirroring the old trigger laws that are on the books, I think Mm -hmm. is a data point in favor of your point that this is an attempt to create an impression of this nationwide resurgent movement to kind of serve up to the Supreme Court justices. Because if you have already got one of these old laws on your books, that's going to make abortion illegal. The second row falls. You don't need this flurry of other legislation that right, makes, exactly. you know, medical abortions harder to get or trap laws or it creates hurdles for providers to jump through. So it really is more of a messaging campaign and kind of practicable effect at that point.
0: Right.
1: It's an illusion. Yeah. And there are obvious and less obvious downstream effects of these abortion restrictions. I mean, the the clear one is what everyone, including, I think, anti-abortion activists know, which is making abortion illegal is not going to make abortion stop because people are still going to be pregnant who don't want to have the babies. That's just not that's not going to go away. That just means that there's going to be less safe abortions, more self-managed abortions and a reality that the women who are going to suffer the most are the ones who can't travel from whatever red state they live in to seek abortion care elsewhere you know which entails travel lodging potentially childcare time off work and that's how, you know that's how it's always been it's going to be bifurcated in both blue and red states and bifurcated in women with resources versus rem- women who don't have resources
0: yeah and it's um, i don't know it kind of i guess it speaks to an you know the alternate reality that republicans tend to live in With this issue, I mean, there's countless other issues and I'm not trying this is this popped into my head and I realized maybe it's not the best comparison because I'm not, you know, abortion is a very different issue than drug use. But um, remember when there was all that uproar about um, the Biden administration giving out grants, like some, I think there were federal grants or something to local communities who are trying to, um, help people with addiction. And there was like all this uproar that like the money included like crack pipes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) These smoking kits included crack pipes, which Mm -hmm. don't And that's, I think I remember maybe writing about it, that it is, Mm -hmm. that's illegal anyways, but, um, the whole point of those is to help people fight addiction and not accepting the fact that people suffer from addiction and like re- like embracing that reality and accepting the fact that sometimes the best way to help someone out of a bad situation is to give them a safe space to start to wean themselves off of the drug. Like my mom used to work at a methadone clinic mm. and the work that they do there is incredible because these people like want to quit. They have a very, like, it's a bodily addiction and I I didn't need to get down this road, but it's, it just illustrates a broader point that Republicans kind of refuse to live in the real world sometimes and I think that that's one thing that Democrats are good about like let's meet you where you are because these things are going to happen and there needs to be options and safe and legal options should be the way that we should you know be dealing with any type of issue in society yeah I mean
1: that's something that I've always found to be kind of a fundamental disconnect on the anti-abortion front which you know when I was in school was Called pro life, um, but because we, in school we weren't—I never had, you know, sex education. So it was just, you know, going to withhold all information
0: and all resources
1: and just tell you to be abstinent.
0: I so, actually but, went to a public school, and we also had abstinent only. Oh since. my god! But that's a small, all-white, conservative town in the middle of a cornfield in Illinois. so <laughs> but,
1: That's the thing. It just, but it gives you no options, right? Because it's like, you have to be abstinent. And then if you end up pregnant, you cannot have an abortion, but also you can't have premarital sex. So it's just like, it creates this web that I think makes things very difficult for people. And also doesn't always represent the realities of abortion, which are overwhelmingly they are sought out by women who already have children who are already mothers. That's not really like the kind of model
0: form that the anti-abortion movement focuses on. Um, That's something that is not talked about. And it's like, it's almost, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? It's almost like a faux pas, even for abortion advocates, because it's, it's just not talked about that. Like a woman who's married and has already had kids, often get abortions for whatever reason, um, they, you know, have family planned their whole life and they only wanted a certain amount of kids. They can only afford a certain amount of kids. Um, Kim Kardashian, you know, she's, she hires a surrogate for her children because her body physically can't handle having kids anymore. And that's a reality. Yeah. That's a conversation that's shied away from a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's misogyny, you know, like a woman's when it comes down to it, the woman's role is to produce children and that's it.
1: (laughs) And there's a piece I'm working on now, which is about the downstream effects of abortion restrictions. And a huge one is that it's super harmful to people dealing with miscarriages and pregnancy loss, which is very common. Um, According to one study, it's 20% of all pregnancies end in pregnancy loss. And those numbers go a lot higher when you're surveying people who didn't know they were pregnant before they experienced the pregnancy loss. But the thing there is that the medical techniques are identical. I mean, it's even called an abortion in the medical world, even if it's a lost pregnancy and not one that the person wants to terminate. And the drugs are exactly the same. The training you need is the same. And There's already this whole host of obstacles to getting care for miscarriages and pregnancy loss, including that this one drug used, Mifepristone, is subject to more FDA restrictions than opioids are, which means that you can only get the drug at all from a certified provider. And those certified providers are almost all at abortion clinics because they're the ones who routinely need the medication, which means that people dealing with pregnancy loss are going to have to go to an abortion clinic. If there are any in the state, which in swaths of the kind of West and South, there already are almost none. Um, That means you have to deal with the harassment of anti-abortion activists who usually congregate outside those places. Um, And there's also the very real and very scary effect that Physicians need training to do these procedures and in a a lot of parts of the country where there's huge stigma around abortion or religious hospital systems, that means that they don't always get that training, which means you've got doctors who don't, aren't well-practiced and aren't well-versed in what they're doing. Um, So there's this whole big net of like a ton of pregnant people who are being punished. Even ones who by all accounts, you know, desperately want their child but I've lost it. And then there's also the piece, you've got the medical piece and then also the criminalization piece, which means that all of this creates such an air of suspicion around, honestly, all reproductive aged women, but particularly those who are pregnant. There are some states that have proposed a reporting requirement for having a miscarriage so the person can be investigated to make sure that it wasn't an abortion, it was pregnancy loss. So there's just so many knock-on effects that, even though we have never lived in a world where abortion is actually easily accessible in every state, that's just going to get worse.
0: Yeah. I'm just like, why the hell is it your business? I mean, that is the thing that, I mean, that's the crux of the issue anyways. It's not your, it's not the government men's business to know what is going on in my uterus. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because it's the same thing that, um, you know, Republicans are so afraid of government overreach that, I mean, that's in like, theory. <laughs> well, yeah, in theory. I remember, um, I think it was uh, Hutchinson, Governor Hutchinson. Which, which state is he? Oklahoma. No. Uh, Arkansas. Arkansas, yes. Arkansas um, state legislator tried to pass a. Uh, Anti trans bill that, like, similar to what we're seeing all around yeah. the country, but it was, a, I think it was a year and a half ago or so. And uh, it was as restrictive as what we're seeing in Texas, um, where anyone under the age of 18 cannot have access to any type of gender affirming care. And uh, the governor, Republican governor, vetoed it because he, even though he supported the idea behind it, He um, didn't feel comfortable allowing politicians to create, to get in the middle of a parent and a doctor and a child's medical decision. And he thought it was too extreme. And now we're seeing that issue pop up all over the country. But it's the same concept. And yet somehow the government like asking you to get vaccinated is hands off my body. <laughs> totally.
1: That's a really interesting point And something that I think has been coming up more and more in the kind of culture war flavored legislation that's coming from red states, because it's similar with, you know, the Texas law, letting parents be investigated for how they're raising their children. It's a lot of the same thing where the conservative ideology of kind of government hands off is increasingly being relegated to regulation and business interests. And when it comes to social issues, it's very much, it should be an increasingly kind of militarized state where more personal decisions are liable to be criminalized than they were before. So- (laughs) Now we're going to transition to an equally cheery topic, which is (laughs) there's another big banner Supreme Court decision we're expecting this summer, which will be over a New York gun permitting scheme, which is that if you want a permit to carry a concealed handgun in New York, you have to show, quote unquote, proper cause. And basically the the side that wants to get rid of this permitting scheme is saying, well, you don't qualify other. Rights like that, you don't have to show proper cause to use your First Amendment rights. A bit of a kind of blunt force argument, but that's the argument. And then the liberal justices at oral arguments kind of come back, came back and said, "You realize that loosening." regulations to give out guns in somewhere as densely packed as New York, even though the challenge is being brought by people in upstate, but still, you know, it would have whole state ramifications. They even brought up things like imagine a proliferation of guns on a subway and, you know, kind of tangentially connected to this is there was a shooting slash attempted terrorist attack Mm -hmm. in a Brooklyn subway, which is the biggest terrorist attack the New York subways have ever experienced on Tuesday. Um, Nicole, since you're in Brooklyn, maybe you can kind of give us the details of, of what happened.
0: Yeah. Um, it's really scary. I, I think it's one of those situations where, I don't know if you're not from New York and you have family elsewhere in the country. Anytime something happens in New York, you get a flood <laughs> of, you know, concerned calls and texts <laughs> and messages from everyone around the world. I find it very sweet and uh, you know it's it's just because something happened in new york city doesn't mean it happened to me because it's a <laughs> massive city but it's anyways that's beside the point it was very lovely to have so many concerned family and friends <laughs> but yeah it was during I think it was 8:30 a.m. which is the most congested time um, on the trains anyways and uh, it was in the sun. It was uh, Sunset Park Station in Brooklyn. Yeah, from what I've read, he, the suspect, um, like uh, detonated some type of smoke grenade inside the train car, and he fired his gun 33 times. Um, he shot 10 people, injured several more. No one died, which is a miracle and mm-hmm. really. Great, um, but yeah. Then there was a you know twenty four hour plus manhunt trying to find the suspect, and we finally located him and arrested him yesterday afternoon. And then there were reports came out that he actually called in the tip on himself. Hmm. And the man had some, I mean, it's becoming clear. It's not, who knows what, I don't know what the motive was or anything. This man had posted some kind of unhinged conspiracy theory type videos online. Most recently, he kind of had a rant about the new mayor, Eric Adams, Mm. and something to do with the new homelessness policy on subway cars. Uh, he didn't like that, I guess. I don't know. I'm not like trying to come up with a motive here or anything, but it does sound like a tragic case of someone having some mental illness. And that's really awful. And that's another layer of the tragedy. But anyways, it kind of like almost highlighted the point that the liberal justices were making in their oral arguments. And I think, and John Roberts as well too, right? I, think that's Mm -hmm. what I was reading yesterday um he was supporting well not supporting but at least offering up a a different way to look at it where okay what if we overturn this law but then we have certain restrictions in place about like where guns can't be allowed and some of the places he listed off were like sports stadiums and anywhere alcohol is served which yeah (laughs) um (laughs) School campuses and things like that, too.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, to be clear, we are still learning the details about this man and we don't know if he got his weapons in a legal way or not. But I do feel that whenever stuff like this happens, there's almost immediate redirection to secondary points In this case, like you say, this guy had some kind of an online footprint where he was being fairly vocal with his conspiracy theories. And I've already kind of seen questions about well, how how come you guys didn't have him in your site? And to me, it's almost like, okay, great. You know, the, the amount of potential shooters that can be found by whatever government entities look for these red flags online, sure. But you can't realistically ask a police force to be combing through all the kind of unhinged rants that emerge from the internet and pinpoint that person and stop them from carrying out an attack. It just, it feels like a misdirection from the fundamental thing, which is people are easily able to obtain deadly weapons who are harboring these kind of conspiracies and kind of fantasies. And it almost feels like because there's no path to strengthening gun legislation through Congress at all, that it just instead gets switched to their kind of social media profile or, you know, Republicans always saying thoughts and prayers and never doing anything and these kind of secondary issues while we've kind of given up on the central point.
0: Right. Yeah. And a part of, I mean, so I actually did read somewhere that I think the gun came from another state. Um, He wasn't able to purchase it or didn't, I don't, I don't know. If he tried to purchase it in New York, they obviously have this very restrictive concealed carry law in place right now. I think it was maybe Ohio and he bought it there and was able to, you know, conceal it and bring it into New York. So yeah, there's this issue where people are, Bringing guns in from, you know, because there's no federal law, we're in a place where states are basically, you know, making their own rules. And because there's no, like, federal precedent or anything that's keeping some type of uniform system in place, every state has, you know, Texas is Wild West and New York is uh, really restrictive about it. And it almost kind of feeds these kinds of attacks because you're, you're able to bring a weapon in without any real, there's no, it's not like anyone would know he had this on the subway or had it concealed on him. And that's another part of the fear, especially in metropolitan area. Yeah. And I do think when we've seen
1: these things happen, because it's now become pretty clear that there is no congressional solution that you would need at this point, you know, a super majority of Democratic senators to pass any gun legislation. Instead, it gets bumped to these secondary conversations about, like you mentioned, this guy's conspiracy-laden rants. Um, And then we keep falling into these traps where you talk of people get fixated on the background of the shooter and how they were radicalized. And and not that that's not part of the conversation, but I, I think it becomes this secondary layer because the political kind of solution to gun violence is so out of hand. I mean, just the way the Senate is set up, it's not gonna happen anytime soon. So then we get any secondary conversations and forget that the kind of crux of the problem is that people who have conspiratorial thinking or you know are radicalized in some way have fairly easy access to these weapons that then they can use to kill a lot of people very quickly. I saw reporting that this guy in particular got this gun from a pawn shop in Ohio. So I think it is illustrative of your point, which is, you know, we obviously have an epidemic of gun violence in this country and there is nothing, there's basically no way to stop it with the way that our federal government is currently set up, which again, Thanks to Manchin and Cinema, the filibuster abides. If not for them, there would not be a filibuster. And still, with the Senate, almost certainly there wouldn't be any gun control passed because of Manchin, but at least it would put it on the table as a possibility. But at this point, meaning 60 votes for gun control is just not going to happen.
0: Um, yeah. And it's the conversations become so morphed and. It takes all these bizarre turns where you know it's either Democrats are trying to take all your guns away or Republicans want to be able to buy a gun and carry it around anywhere and any anytime they want and I think that there the the thing here is that I think that people like do agree in some ways on what the solution could be, which is comprehensive background checks and Um, Like no person in their right mind is going to say it would be bad for people to have to go through a series of, you know, checks and, you know, process in order to obtain a military grade weapon or deadly weapon. But um, the issue is it's just become politicized and the right has made any type of common sense restriction comparable with. Well, Democrats just want to take all your guns away and you won't have a Second Amendment right anymore.
1: And then there's also a kind of fabrication of a world that necessitates being armed to the hilt. You know, I mean, Fox News loves to peddle in the world of American cities are dangerous, cesspools of crime and violence. And, you know, a lot of the continuation of Trump's American carnage thing, which I've just I find so fascinating because you know, Republicans are the party that claim patriotism that say they love America and the liberals hate America, but the America they paint is, it sounds horrible. You know, it's that American cities are battlegrounds essentially. Um, and, you know, that might just be in service of this kind of bifurcation, which is that, you know, rural America is good. Urban America is bad, but I think it, it does work on multiple fronts, um, but it's just, it is kind of interesting for a country these people kind of claim to love and say that uh, Democrats are, are ruining. Right.
0: it's funny that the last instance of any type of violent upheaval involving you know, weapons and things, uh, was January 6th and that was right. carried out by the very people who want to paint this picture of a violent America. So totally.
1: Okay. A uh, reminder to our listeners get 25% off at Grady's cold Brew.com with promo code TPM. Nicole, thank you so much for stepping in for Josh this week on such late notice. Uh, and we will see you guys back here next week. Yeah, thanks for having me.